Welcome in everyone to another video covering my top five dynasty sashes. The last two of these have gone over a thousand views each. Let's make it three in a row. Let's go. Our first dynasty stash, John Mechie. Now, like most dynasty sashes, these are deep players. So it's not based on their NFL production right now. If they were producing, they wouldn't be a stash. But let's get into Mechie. He missed his entire rookie year with leukemia, which was unfortunate because I thought he had a great opportunity to take a quick roll right away. Unfortunately, it didn't happen. This year, he just has 13 catches for 144 yards on 21 targets, no touchdowns, not playing a super impressive role. He was way behind Nico Collins and Tank Dell and even fell behind Robert Woods and Noah Brown for playing time. But Dell's out for the year. Collins is probably going to miss this week. And Woods and Brown were totally unimpressive last week. Mechie hit a 50% snap share for the first time last week. He had five targets, although he only caught one of them for six yards. But my biggest reason for being in on Mechie as a dynasty stash is that he has name value. He was a second-round pick from Alabama. He had 1,142 yards and eight touchdowns on 96 catches in his final college season. And he had 916 and six touchdowns in his second year. So he had two good productive years at the best school. So if he ever breaks out, dynasty managers will accept that he's valuable immediately. They'll accept it because he's a known quantity, which will allow you to sell him, which is always what we look for primarily in these dynasty sashes is that sell value. Let's move into the next one. Evan Hull. I think a lot of people have forgotten about Evan Hull, but he was one of my favorite sleepers during this year's dynasty rookie process. A fifth round pick for the Colts, which put him behind Jonathan Taylor on the depth chart. Of course, Taylor got his long-term deal from the Colts, and out of nowhere, Zach Moss broke out as his backup. Hull had one catch for six yards and one carry for a yard this year, suffered a season-ending injury, never came back. But Zach Moss is a free agent, and with Taylor under a long-term deal, I find it hard to believe that Moss is going to be on the Colts next year. He's going to go and search a bigger deal, maybe as a starter or a real committee back. Hall had 88 catches for 810 yards in his final two college seasons, making him a potential passing game complement to JT. And of course, the Colts have had a Naeem Hines role in the past. But beyond that, Hall took 221 carries in his final college year. So he could command touches if Taylor were to ever go down, which, suffice it to say, has happened a lot the last two years that Taylor's been hurt. He's a stash for me because he's forgotten. And if he's on waivers, I'd consider adding him uh, and just holding on to him throughout the offseason. Now, this is our one player that's actually based on something that they did recently, which is David Allen. I liked him coming out of Clemson, a tight end in the fifth round, but he just kind of fell out of focus because the 2023 tight end rookie class was legendary. Sam Laporta was in it. Dalton Kincaid, Michael Meyer, Luke Musgrave. That's four really great prospects, not to mention others like Luke Schoonmaker, Tucker Craft. So Allen fell to the fifth round, buried on the Rams depth chart, even though he had 39 catches for 443 and five touchdowns in five on college season at Clemson. Not a nothing school at Clemson. Entered the NFL at 22 years old, significantly younger than someone like Dalton Kincaid. So 
he kind of fell in a bad spot, though, on the Rams. Tyler Higby is their dominant starter. Hunter Long and Bryson Hopkins were their primary backups. But once Higby missed week 14 with an injury and Long suffered a season-ending MCL injury, Davis Allen stepped up. Four catches, 50 yards, and a touchdown on five targets. He played a 71% snap share. Now, I'm not saying that Allen is going to become the Rams starter right away, but he should be rostered because Tyler Higby turns 31 this offseason. Technically, the Rams can cut him with a post-June 1 designation. I doubt they do that, but it's not like they have a lot of money in Higby or that Higby has been great lately. He's averaging just 2.8 catches and 30.6 yards a game, his lowest mark since 2018. He's obviously in decline. So there's a universe in which Allen just passes Higby on the depth chart, even though Higby's being paid more. He's a must-stash in all Dynasty Leagues, especially tight end premium formats. Now, these last two stashes are what I would call impending free agents who have fallen into horrible situations. Donovan Peoples-Jones is a great example. He was actually showing a lot of progression throughout his career. A lot of people don't remember this. In 2020, he had 14 catches for 302 yards and two touchdowns, being used as a deep threat. And in 2021, he upgraded. 34 catches, 597 yards, and three touchdowns. Then in 2022, I I know a lot of people are going to find this hard to believe, but he had 61 catches for 839 yards and three touchdowns. He's actually constantly progressing. Unfortunately, he was a free agent after this season, and the Browns acquired Elijah Moore in a trade and drafted Cedric Tillman this offseason to compliment Amari Cooper as their number one wide receiver, which made DPJ a trade candidate, obviously not in their future plans. But before the trade to the Lions, he was playing consistently, 80% snap shares in the Browns offense, but he only had eight catches for 97 yards in seven games, and he struggled alongside Deshaun Watson's issues. Then he went to the Lions, who are a contending team. Their wide receiver rotation was set. They didn't need him. But it's important to note that DBJ hits free agency after this year. He'll only be 25 years old. And I think some team is going to look at that trajectory from 2020 to 2022 and sign into some sort of decent contract. And at that point, he'll gain dynasty value. And you can sell him for a lot more than his current cost, which is free. No cost. So just something to look at in case he does well in free agency. Similarly to DPJ, Mike Kosicki, I feel bad for Mike Kosicki. He's stuck in a horrific situation. Over the first four years of his career in Miami, he was on a solid trajectory, constantly improving every year, hit 700 receiving yards in both 2020 and 2021. And in 2021, he had 73 catches, 780 yards, and two touchdowns on 113 targets which is insane for a tight end. Unfortunately, the Dolphins franchise tagged him after 2021. They didn't let him hit free agency off his best year. He would have signed a big contract. They franchise tagged him, even though he's not a fit for Mike McDaniel's offense at all, not at all, which focuses on Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle essentially exclusively over the last two years. They've barely used anyone else, and those two players have essentially gotten all the targets. Kasiki fell to 32 receptions, 362 yards, and five touchdowns in 2022. Kind of put his free agency stock down. He had to settle for an incentive-laden deal from the Patriots in 2023. And this year, it's been even worse. 22, 21 catches, 181 yard, 182 yards, and a touchdown. He's been awful, but the Patriots have been a dumpster fire. I think that some team might take a look at his previous production 
And hopefully he gets a better spot in 2024. Maybe on the Chargers. That would be nice. Um, 28 years old is not exactly old for a tight end. He still has time. And he literally has no ADP whatsoever. So if you can sign him for free in a tight end premium league, you never know. Guys like Logan Thomas have no relevance. And then Sam Howell brings more volume to the offense. And suddenly they have relevance. Gasicki was a volume play not that long ago. So add him in your tight end premium leagues and reap the benefits later. Now, if you like these questions or questions, this uh, content, make sure to like, comment, and subscribe to the video. Uh, Questions are on my mind because patrons can ask advanced questions for the YouTube. uh, And only patrons get to ask those questions. I have a few loaded up here. and. Yeah, if you want to sign up for Patreon, the link is in the top right corner of the video, patreon.com slash fantasy advice. And let's jump into the questions for the patrons right now. There was a meta-analysis of Dynasty Rookie Draft since 2011 done by The Athletic in summer 2023. The upshot is that they looked at the hit rates for rookies by ADP for every round in a 12-team Superflex format. They found that the hit rates for first-round picks is roughly 75%. For seconds is roughly 50%, and then it becomes more or less a dart throw past that with odds below 50%. How actionable do you think this dynasty, this analysis is, and how should managers use it, if at all, when thinking of buying, selling future picks? Thanks, Tyler. It's useless. Totally useless. It's totally useless. Useless entirely. Because I don't care about a meta-analysis. I care about what this draft class brings. Not a meta-analysis. Generally... First-round picks are always valuable. Second-round picks, to me, I find are valuable because they're always worth something on the clock. People always want them. That's the thing the hit rate doesn't capture is that the value of the picks on the clock is insanely high. But the the meta-analysis will never capture that because all it counts is what they do statistically, not the trade value of those picks. So useless. It's totally useless. I have no interest in such a meta-analysis. It does nothing for me. Nothing at all. Focus on my rankings and my process, especially focused on moving those rookie picks while on the clock. You can gain an edge that will never be captured in any meta-analysis. That's my take on that. Now, uh, I don't usually take too many start sick questions through this, but I did pick out a couple because uh, Mr. Dish Show put in about 20 of them, so I didn't want to just skip them all, so I want to include a couple. Trevor Lawrence still start versus Baltimore. Would you go the Sam Howell route? Uh, against the Rams, I would go the Sam Howell route. Baltimore, I know they were roasted by Matt Stafford last week, but they're a tough defense. Sam Howell has volume, even though he's been bad. So I'll lean Sam Howell this week. I still think Trevor Lawrence isn't 100% healthy. That's also impacting my decision to go with Sam Howell and the lack of Christian Kirk as well. Uh, Ty Chandler, Tajay Spears. We just got news that Alexander Madison is out this week. So it's Ty Chandler for sure. Uh, he's a top 25 play. This is a dynasty question. How would you tackle rookie drafts? Order or record, even if there's chances of uh, people purposely tanking. I'm not sure exactly what this means, but, uh, you know, I want to order it. I'm fine with max potential points. I'm fine with record. Uh, I'm fine with kind of however you want to do it. I'm okay with people tanking. I don't care. They paid the buy-in. Let them do what they want. You can't start players on buy. You can't start players who are out. But I'm not going through people's lineups saying, 
well, this player was better than this one. I keep it very simple. Things that are not up for debate. You cannot start players on buy. You cannot stop start players that are out. Of course, sometimes players are ruled out at the last minute. People have lives. They make mistakes. But, you know, if, like, whoever is in your lineup that was ruled out five weeks ago or days in advance, he should not be in your lineup. And then, you know, quarterbacks, I'm going to say, if you want to say you can't start a quarterback who's not starting, like if Mac Jones is still in your lineup, that's a problem. But beyond that, I'm not getting into this wide receiver is better. So I'm fine with people tanking. Draft order by record is fine. It's probably what I lean as a preference, but I'm fine with Mac's potential points as well. I have no issue with either format. What's up with Zach Moss? We talked about this a little bit earlier. Underwhelming to say the least. I disagree. He's had the workload, just hasn't scored. Do you know when Jonathan Taylor's supposed to come back? Phil Goldman, he's back. I think Jonathan Taylor comes back next week. It's going to be a hard decision in your fantasy playoffs. You're going to have to play Jonathan Taylor. I think he's of the level where you have to play him. So he's a full go, but it's kind of come what may. Probably not going to play Zach Moss when Taylor is back, but I could easily get burned there. But yeah, my guess is Jonathan Taylor plays week 16 next week. He's already out this week. Of course, if you like the video, make sure to like, comment, and subscribe. We've been over 1,000 on this the last two weeks and I couldn't do it without you guys. So, you know, always make sure to like, comment, and subscribe. You want to ask questions for future shows, the Patreon, top right corner, or patreon.com slash fantasy advice. You can sign up at, at any tier. And let's win it's fantasy playoffs. Let's win those playoff games. And I will see you all later. Peace out, and let's win.